Let's turn to the Lord and invite him in our midst. <clears throat> Almighty God, we want to thank you for your wonderful work, sending your son. We can't begin to understand what that means. What he left and how he was received and that he became one of us and showed us what it really means to to live for you. Father, we, we cannot fully comprehend this greatest of all gifts, but we're so thankful for this opportunity we have this morning to look into your word, to worship you together, to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts together, that even this world is taking a rest and setting aside this time that we could contemplate this greatest of mysteries that God became flesh and came to redeem us. Father, we pray that this morning we could indeed set aside. Oh Lord, the, the world has engineered many distractions even in this time of reflection. Lord, that we could clear our minds from those distractions and we could open our hearts and we could honestly contemplate what you have done and what it means for how much you've loved us. Father, thank you and please be with us. Inspire and work in each one of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read together from the uh, book of Luke, the second chapter, the traditional Christmas story, there in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I've read to the 20th verse. I believe the story is <clears throat> familiar to all of us. I remember memorizing this passage, Christmas time. I remember helping my children memorize this passage at Christmas time. And sometimes when we memorize and become so familiar with the words, we, we uh, kind of just skip over them. We think we already know what they have to say to us. Uh, with uh, Brother Eric, we've been going through a, a little bit of a Bible study with some of his neighbors and been um, using the Christmas experience, a little uh, video series that kind of just to rethink this story and what it must have really been like in detail and the experience of, of Mary, the frightened teenage girl who was... Uh, given this immense privilege and yet faced social ostracism, was threatened for her life, uh, would have been stoned if people didn't believe her story. If the story came to light, it's not exactly clear, but there's Joseph no, probably not believing her as he's minded to put her away privily and, and uh, they were promised to each other and he... Of course, who would believe there was some other explanation for the fact that she was pregnant? And yet God appeared to him and revealed to him this plan. And, and then things just got more and more difficult and impossible that at nine months pregnant, she has to go on this arduous journey three days or so, uh, sleeping on the open road, having no conveniences and we've had uh, the privilege of our three young couples having babies uh, almost one every month and you can imagine what it would be like to you know have your wife or for you to to be on this open road and yet this is supposed to be the son of god this is supposed to be God's special plan to redeem the planet and, and, and God is not taking greater provision, not making a, a, even a room in the inn for him. 
not even that detail could be taken care of, that it has to be in a, a stable and it wasn't some probably clean, um, you know, beautiful nativity scene. I mean, you know, in the stable, animals do their business, lingering smells and substances around. I mean, it was not some beautiful pastoral scene. And yet that's where God entered this planet. That it wasn't about being in Herod's palace with its hundreds of acres of gardens and massive buildings, but in this smelly stable and in the feeding trough that he was laid so that it would be said it wasn't about power or prestige or, 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 or what, look what, what uh, money can do, look what um, you know, connections can do. Just look what God can do because there was no other resources present. No advantage given to that helpless baby. And to think of it then not only from Joseph's point of view, from Mary's point of view, but from Jesus' point of view. And that's most difficult for us because we have no idea. We have vague ideas. We really can't understand what Jesus had, what he left behind. When he chose to leave glory, you know, the, the praise of the angels, the intimacy with his heavenly Father, with the Holy Spirit, to leave not only the comfort, <clears throat> the prestige, the position, being God, and, and to come as, as, as that helpless baby in the filthy straw by scared young parents, ill-equipped, refugees, not even having the support of family in nearby, you know, giving birth in pain and agony. It, 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 it was, this was not a silent night. That's not how childbirth works. <clears throat> and here he is. We know babies, they're, they're beautiful, and they're helpless, powerless, dependent for everything. And God humbled himself to that most dependent and helpless state. Why? came across a story recently that helped me a little bit give some context or, or some comparison because it's hard for us to understand God and glory in the throne room. It, it just doesn't fit in our mind. And so we know that any story will not compare to the love that God is manifesting when he comes and he leaves that for the stable and, and, and takes on flesh, takes on us, becomes one of us. 
with all that entails. Now, we are made in the image of God. We have the ability to, to think, to be aware, to make decisions, but, but this is frail, mortal, corrupt man that, whose lives are subject to weakness and disease, who have limitation all over, limitation in what we can see, limitation in what we can do, full of limits. And the limitless God is limiting himself. In the 1800s, there was a leprosy had spread to the beautiful island of Hawaii. And leprosy is a a scary disease for multiple reasons. Um, it's, it, you don't know when you're infected. It might come out six months to 40 years later that you're infected. It's very slow onset of that bacteria. And of course, they had no idea it was bacteria until a, a few decades later. It was in the late 18th century that they finally identified the bacteria. They thought it might be a curse of God, but they did notice it was communicable. And so, and you started to get these deformed patches of skin. You started to lose sensation. And, and um, eventually, you know, as this disease slowly progresses, you begin to lose your digits, your toes, your fingers, and open sores, and uh, your face in particular became very deformed. It, it, it works in the coldest spots of your body, which is like your eyes and your ears and, 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 and the parts of your extremities, because it go, grows fastest where the body temperature, temperature is lowest. And so these parts of the body become deformed and fall off. And, you lose blood circulation, nerve function, and you become grossly deformed and then putrefying, awful smelling sores, the corruption. So it was hideous and contagious. And so as a result, people were very afraid of it. So they decided to create a sanctuary so that we don't call it what it really was. They, they dedicate a certain island, Molokai, and uh, this, this one uh, tip of the island <clears throat> where there was this, this impenetrable ridge only passable by a mule train. And, you know, so it was basically a penal colony, but we called it, you know, a sanitarium where we could, would send those, anyone who was infected with leprosy was sent there so that they wouldn't spread the disease to anyone else. And if they were, which they couldn't, uh, able to climb that ridge, they'd be shot. And so they were confined to that place. And what happens when people are there without hope, without knowing they're going to die, knowing that uh, um, their, their time is limited, 
The government did send rations of food, but no policemen would go. No, no, no one, and there were no public services because no one would take that death sentence upon themselves to enter that penal colony because as soon as you did, who knows if you were affected and then you would not be allowed to leave until you yourself died. And so, yes, food was dropped off. It was distributed at least initially, but, you know, the strong would take from the weak. There was no sense of law and order, no hope, no... The plan was that they would grow their own food, but people without hope, they don't, they don't invest in their future. They don't till the ground because they don't think they're going to be there to reap the results of that. This was a horrible place. And uh, so the, the missionaries were asked, there was one Belgian missionary, his, his brother had, was supposed to go and couldn't, was sick, and so he went to Hawaii and he volunteered to go and to serve these people. His name was Damien, Father Damien. And uh, he was told not to touch them. But he didn't observe. He would preach to the people and he would say, you are not lepers. You're people who have leprosy. He would see them as people of worth, people of dignity. And from his scant uh, lumber that he received, he would build them coffins. He would bury them with dignity. He would, he would touch them. He would eat with them. He would feed them. He would, uh, he would be one with them. Until they saw that they were people who had worth to somebody. They weren't just the rejects isolated and imprisoned until they would shortly die. They were people who had worth until they would sow and grow food and build and make this a place to live, not just a place to die. And after 11 years, he was preparing a bath and noticed that his foot was blistering up because the water was so hot and yet he didn't feel it. And so he began his sermon that morning with we lepers. He had now become one of them, had identified completely with them because that was the only way to bring them hope. The only way for them to know that it wasn't just words that someone was sending from far away that yes, here's food. Yes, you are worthy, but I won't touch you. And so Jesus was willing to touch us. We know he, he broke those social conventions. He did touch the leper. Those who feel so isolated, so repulsive to the world, so unhuman. But in his touch, he communicated 
a connection. Even though that connection would transfer. Oh, he didn't contract leprosy. But he became sin for us who knew no sin. He didn't have to be in this corrupted, fallen world that is here because of our own choice to be independent of God, our own defiance. He came under no obligation, out of love alone, to bring a people who have no hope, a people for whom a disease was eating them from the inside out. Because leprosy shares a lot of similarities with the disease that we all have of sin. How it makes us desensitized. How we lose feeling. How we lose touch. As we shut down the, the things that make us feel guilty, that make us stir those, 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 the, the burden of, of, of shame, as we desensitize and legalize that desensitization and become more callous. And who's going to cover up the smell of the corruption that we see in the hearts of people and the abandoned children, the broken relationships, the cries of pain, where, where young people, just listening to the other day to Ravi talking about the Passion Conference, where the young people are coming up and they, they are, we are in a time where, where people have lost truth and how is it working out in our lives when we lose hope and people feel so isolated? Our technology provides pornography as the way to, to, to stimulate and medicate your way out of things. And so many were struggling with that. And, and suicide as the next outworking. That suicide rates are on the high. And yet, as our society becomes more and more, as we allow the, the, the loss of the lifeblood of the faith of God and anchoring in truth to work itself out, as there's no more purifying circulation, as we might legalize and say this is now the standard, but who's going to cover the stench of how it works out in people's hearts? And they're in pain, and they don't have hope, and they're not investing in a future because they don't know. They're not investing in their spiritual future. And even here, people are giving up hope as the sin of is the leprosy of sin 
eats slowly, but inexorably and unstoppably. Damien was buried there. People loved him. He had come there at 33. He said, my Lord died at 33, and I'm willing to, you know, serve him and eat as long as I live, being at that age. But he lasted about 10, uh, about, it was 15 years serving there, and the disease did end up having its effect as he had taken that on, putting no distance between him and the people he was there to serve. But in the process, transferring to them a worth and a hope and an identity that was not a leper, but a person. And then the outside world you know, saw him as special, and because he was Belgian, they wanted to take his body back to Belgium to be reburied there. And they said, please, he loved us. He means so much to us. Let us have him, but they, they would not. And this is okay, at least let us have his hand, his arm. At least allow that to be buried here, that we have something of him here in this place where he, his hands, his touch brought so much hope and healing to our souls. And so his hand is still buried there in Molokai. We are the hands of Jesus. We are the hands that Jesus has here on this earth to continue to touch the lives of those around us that are without hope, that are in pain, that need to be told that you are loved. You are worthy. You are in the image of God. You are a person who, who is, has sinned, but you are a person who can be redeemed. And, and Jesus came and, and did this exchange where he was willing to take on all the, the shame, the things that, that make you feel awful about yourself, that darken your thoughts when you're all alone and you don't have that distraction. And he was willing to exchange that for purity and righteousness and healing and hope. You're not defined by your sin. You're not defined by your past. You can rise above that. And it's our hands. It's our hands that can transfer that loving, 
healing touch. But they can't be disconnected. They can't be cut off. They need to be connected to that heart of Jesus who is still aching over every lost soul and hurting soul. That that his life blood can flow through us to warm that touch, to bring it that life-giving warmth and love. We have been loved. God did so much more than we can imagine when he left heaven and entered into this squalid, filthy world, became us, lived among us, showed us a different life, a life that no one can argue with, a life that to this day is held up as the prototypical, this is truly a good man without sin, showing us how to relate to one another and to God and without compromise, without, without fitting into the politics of the day or the, the fear of man, but solid love, uncompromised, radical. And then to show us what it is when he loved and he died on that cross and he forgave the very people who were tormenting him, mocking him, and rose again. And is now in us and is sending us as those hands and feet. That Christmas is not a little pageant with kids dressed in bathrobes and little tinsel hanging over their heads. Christmas is God entering the world, the power to bring healing to a hurting world, and he's doing that today through his hands and feet, which are you and I. The brother was uh, meditating this morning on the word of God uh, and the example that he gave. My mind went to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and um, two specific verses or passages that we can connect uh, sort of uh, align with what was said this morning. One which I've misinterpreted for a long time in Hebrews chapter 2 says this, Let me begin with 14, verse 14, Hebrews 2. For as much then as children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, became partaker of flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that hath power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage or slavery. Wherefore, in all things... It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Christ had to be made like unto us, flesh and blood, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. For the sake of being, or for the purpose of becoming a high priest, a go-between man and God, he became like man. 
to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And then the last couple of verses of Hebrews 4, he repeats in different ways. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now he's in heaven. He was on earth, but he, he's now in heaven at the right hand of God. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Why? Because he was here. He felt the temptations, the trials, the, the circumstances of life that we felt. And yet he was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need through this intercessor, through this mediator, through this high priest Jesus Christ. This man in Hawaii succumbed eventually to the disease of leprosy. And he died. He did a thing which ended up taking his life for the greater good. He didn't consider himself, his life, precious unto himself, but for the sake of the greater good, he was willing to make himself vulnerable and open to the disease of this colony. Jesus did not contract leprosy. He did not contract sin from his environment, from the people that he lived with. But yet he died. He gave up his life willingly for us. He says, I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it up again. If Jesus did that for you and me, my dear friend, what does, what does that behoove us to do? If it behooved him to become like unto us, Flesh and blood. What is, does it behoove us to do? But to become like him. Through the power that he offers to us. If we're willing to accept it. So we don't have to fear death anymore. Death is all around us. Every day, every week, every month. We hear loved ones, acquaintances that are dying. Some of them without God, without Christ. We don't have to fear that if we go to the one who came to become like us so that we could become like him. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.